Thank you, Brother Vaughn. Let's stand and take our Bibles, please. Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. We're going to study about a wonderful mother and encouragement to everyone here in church this morning. Matthew chapter 15. If your neighbor next to you doesn't have a Bible, would you be kind enough to share your Bible with them today? Matthew 15. While you're turning there, this evening we are privileged to have uh, the West Coast Baptist College uh, trio with us tonight. They have their tour groups that are on the road. They're starting as of this weekend. And uh, we get to be one of the first churches that one of the tour groups will be at. And uh, we'll be blessed by some very encouraging music this evening from the West Coast Baptist College trio. Please be here tonight at 515 for that. And a very, very encouraging message we'll get from the Word of God. And then, men, I want to remind you, next Saturday, next Saturday at noontime, we have our men's barbecue. We're going to have all our men meet for a, a time of men's soul winning. Of course, the church will be soon, but men emphasis soul winning on, in the morning at about 10 o'clock. And then following that, about 1230, we'll have the uh, men's barbecue. Pastor Kerry Brown from up in Marysville is coming down to preach to us. And you'll love Brother Brown. I had a privilege of being up with him last February preaching his building banquet. Took a struggling church. It would decline down to about 30 people with about maybe 10 or 12 acres of land and just everything just in disrepair. Brother Brown came down here from the state of Washington, accept the call for that church. And in seven years' time, has got the church running well over 300, maybe even 400 right now. Souls are being saved every week, and God's doing some wonderful things in that church. Great vision being cast for the cities of Maryville. And I want you men to be there to hear Brother Brown preach. He'll encourage your heart. Every man that comes, we have a wonderful uh, gift to give to you that night, on, on that day as well there too. So men, join us for that. Great time of fellowship, food, and uh, refreshment. It'll be a blessing for you. And I'd encourage you to bring some, another man with you to hear the Word of God, and they might come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Matthew 15, verse 21. Would you scroll down there? Follow me as we read, please. Then Jesus went thence and departed unto the coast of Tyre and Zidon. Behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and he said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not me to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. This morning we are traveling there to that area of the Middle East where Jesus ministered to one specific mother. He went to the coastal cities of Tyre and Zidon just for one mother. And there that mother's commended for her faith, but leading into that it was a mother whose heart was filled with heartache, trouble, grief, Wondering what to do. This morning, I want to tell you, in this service here at Heritage Baptist Church, we are praying, we have been praying this week, that God will meet with every mother individually, just as He met with this mother of Tyre and Zion. It may be this morning that God, for every mother and every man, every boy and girl today, that God would increase your faith as He increased the faith of this dear mother. Our Father, this morning, thank You today for this worship service. And as Lord, we've tried to do our best to acknowledge... And honor the mothers here today. Now it's that moment of the service, the most important time, where we honor you. 
We lift up our voices to you. Where the Bible says, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. Thank you for this woman who's mentioned here, whose name we do not know, but we're told that she was a mother by occupation, a mother whose heart was grievously vexed. She came to know the Lord, and through the Lord's power, we see a very happy and wonderful ending. Would you bless our time together? Would Holy Spirit, you be our teacher who comes alongside of us, the comforter, the paraclete, who comes right next to us to teach us, to enlighten us, to provoke us, to stimulate us, to inspire us, to speak to us, to help us this morning. And I pray for mothers here today who do not know your son, Jesus Christ, as their personal Savior, that in this service they come to know Christ today. Bless our time together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you don't know the history about Mother's Day, we owe the existence of, his, of Mother's Day going back to May of, two, uh, of back in May of 1908-1905 to a woman by the name of, of Anna Jarvis. Anna Jarvis was a young girl growing up in Grafton, West Virginia. At the age of ten, she uh, lost her mother. Her mother passed away unexpectedly. And Anna and her siblings, of course, were very grief-stricken and heartbroken. They had lost her mother. And Anna, from that point, that was a turning point in Anna's life. Anna decided that she wanted to do something to always embed in her heart and her memory, and as far as the memory of other people, the memory of her mother. And through her efforts, she appealed herself to the pastor of her church, and to the Sunday school superintendent, superintendent, pastor of her church, to lead their church and recognize not only Anna's mother, but all mothers in that local church that she belonged to. And the two years after that, she had done this because West Virginia at the time was a small, small state there. Her appeal got, found its way all the way up to the state government. And it got to the governor of West Virginia. In 1910, the governor of West Virginia declared the, sec, uh, uh, declared the second Sunday of every May to be a, a day set apart in recognition and of honor of mothers. Well, Anna Jarvis went on in life, and her great crusade and desire in life was to see Mother's Day become a national movement. And not long after that, our, one of our presidents signed into law that on the second Sunday of every May, that would be recognized nationally as Mother's Day. And so today we owe the existence of Mother's Day to the efforts of a woman by the name of Anna Jarvis, a woman who loved her mother very much and wanted others to share in that love and that expression to never let the thought and memory of their mothers go away. I hope this morning that you're here today, and if your mother's still alive, I hope today that you love your mother. I hope that you're thankful for your mother. I hope today you're thankful every day what your mother goes through, and as she gets older every year, that you take a little extra time to acknowledge her and love her and spend time with her and let her know that you care very, very much for your mother. The Bible has much to say about the honoring of mothers. Would you consider Psalms 127, verse 3? The psalmist said this, Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. Ladies, the blessing of getting married, the fruit of marriage, the reward of marriage is being able to bear children and bring children into the world. The heritage that God has given us, that which we pass on which is greatest, the greatest things we pass on in life are not our heirlooms and not our paintings and not our furniture and not our savings accounts and not our stock portfolios and real estate portfolios and whatever we accomplish in our job. The greatest thing we pass on to our children in successive generations is that heritage of a godly mother. So great is the honoring of mothers. God said this in giving the Ten Commandments. He told us in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, the fifth commandment. He said, honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. 
Early on in life, God established for us the importance of recognize spiritual authority in our life. And foremost of all spiritual authority, you and I must recognize that in the first four commandments, then the highest of all authority is God Himself. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul and all thy mind. We're to honor God. We're to have no other gods, false gods, or any other gods before us. The first four commandments speak about honoring God. But the fifth commandment, right in the middle of the Ten Commandments, the second most important spiritual authority in your life is your mother and your father. The youngest, the young married today, today who are about to have children or plan to have children, those who recently had children, the greatest and most awesome responsibility you have is realizing that you're the spiritual authority for your children. Whichever way you direct them is the way in which they should go. Proverbs 22, 6 tells us, train up a child in the way in which he should go, that when he is old, he should not depart from it. I'm going to tell you this morning, moms and dads, the greatest instructor in your child's life is not just that Sunday school teacher. And the greatest instructor of your child's life is not that public school teacher or that Christian school teacher or that homeschool teacher. Thank God for them and the good influencer. I remind you this morning, the greatest influence in your child's life is the influence that you bear upon their lives this morning. The Bible talks about honoring our mothers there in Psalms and in Exodus. But notice in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8, here's what Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs Solomon had to say. He said, My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Someone wrote an acrostic taking the word mother. And they penned out an acrostic describing the wonderfulness of a mother. And they said this, the letter M stands for the millions of things that she gave you. The letter O stands for the fact that she's, that she's growing older. We must recognize as our mother gets older, we must spend more time with her. The letter T recognizes the tears that she sheds for you. The letter H is for the heart of purest gold. Listen, nobody has a heart greater than a ch- for a child than a mother's heart. The letter E stands for the eyes which are uh, the, that are loving and light burning. And the letter R is that mothers are always right. How many believe that this morning? Amen. This morning I want you to venture with me to Matthew chapter 15. I want you to notice some things about the mothers. First of all, you notice the honorable attributes. Our story begins in verse 21. It says, Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Zidon. Behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Jesus makes his way to the coastal city there of Tyre and Zidon. Tyre and Zidon, if you know anything about your history, was a, was a very, very, uh, those cities were very commercially great and historically they were very well known, but they were cities who had many opportunities to turn towards God and yet they did not. The cities of Tyre and Zidon were filled with people, more non-Jewish people than Jewish people. This woman that's presented, the Bible makes very clear to us, she was a woman of Canaan. She was a Gentile woman. She was not a Jewish woman. Jesus did not go up there to Tyre and Zion for a Jewish woman. He went there specifically for a woman who was a Gentile, a non-Jewish woman. What draws our attention is not the fact that she was a woman. What draws our attention to this passage is not the fact that she was a Gentile woman. What draws our attention to this passage, the Bible says she was a mother who came to Jesus, a woman who said, my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. This was a mother. A mother that Jesus knew about her problem, knew about her concern. He knew because he knows all things. And by the way, mom, whatever heartache you're going through today, whatever may be going on in your home, your marriage, I want to tell you this morning, God loves you so much, he knows exactly what's going on in your home and your life right now. We see in this passage of Scripture, the mother's introduced to us. I want you to consider as we begin this morning this matter about the attributes of a mother. 
A little boy was practicing in Sunday school for a presentation. In his presentation, the line he was given that everyone felt he could handle was to stand up and say, that, that, uh, quote the words that Jesus gave in John 8, 12, when Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And the mother practiced this line with her son over and over again. She'd practice. Now, son, remember, you get up there, you stand up, and you stand up like this, son. And when you get up there, you look at the, you put your mouth right where the microphone is, and you look right at the audience, and don't let them scare you. And all you've got to say is, uh, they say is that, I am the light of the world. And they practice it for weeks and weeks and weeks. And finally, the day came when they had the Sunday school presentation, and the little boy got up. He does like most of us do. We stand up before a crowd, and we go blank. You ever have that happen? Every time we have a baptism, the first thing a baptismal candidate asks me, they says, Pastor, do I have to say anything? I said, would you like to say something? They said, no, 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 I don't want to say anything. And we're about to get into the baptistry. They'll say, Pastor, I'm really scared. All these people watch me. I said, well, here's what you do. Just look at the corner up there. And then when it's time for me to baptize, just look down the people and just go blank in your stare and pretend they're not there. You bet. And this little boy was practicing, but he got up and he got his mind went blank. He couldn't remember what to say. And his mother's sitting right there. You know how mothers are. They just want their children to succeed. Amen. And she's mouthing the word. She's trying to move her. She's moving her. Let's say, I'm the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. And finally, the boy looked at his mother. He's trying to figure what she's saying. And he, and he just smiled from ear to ear. And he said this. He said, my mother's the light of the world. Now, it wasn't the right thing that he was supposed to say for the presentation. But I think he had the right idea concerning his mother. Someone wrote a paper entitled, The Things That My Mother Taught Me. Maybe you'll identify with some of these things. And I'm going to quote to you what they said here in this paper. They gave a statement how their mother, something their mother taught them. And how their mother taught them this particular attribute or this particular principle through a statement she said. For instance, the man said this. My mother taught me to appreciate a job well done. And this is what his mother would say to him to teach him that. She said, if you're going to kill each other, do it outside. I just finished cleaning the house. He said, my mother taught me religion. Here's a statement mom said. You better pray that that will come out of the carpet. He said, my mother taught me about time travel. She said to him, if you don't straighten out, I'm going to knock you to the middle next week. He said, my mother taught me lodging. This is what she would say. She said, because I told you, that's why I said so. Amen. And then he said, my mother taught me more logic. She would say something like this. If you fall out of that swing and break your neck, you're not going to be able to go to the store with me. He said, my mother taught me about stamina. She said, you'll sit there until all that spinach is gone. He said, my mother taught me about weather. This room of yours looks as if a tornado went through it. Then he said, his mother taught him about envy. She said, there are a million of less fortunate children in this world who don't have wonderful parents like you do. And then he said, the greatest thing his mother taught him was about anticipation. She taught him anticipation by saying, you just wait until your father gets home. Growing up as a mother, you raise your children. You teach them statements that then get embedded in their lives. To turn with me to Proverbs 31 for just a moment. And I want you to see some things I read about earlier, but I want you to see some things in Proverbs 31 about the attributes of a, of a mother, the honorable attributes of a mother. In Proverbs 31, which you notice in Proverbs 31, verse 26, something very wonderful God tells us there. See, what are those attributes, Pastor Fong, about a mother? Well, first of all, notice in verse 26, one of the great honorable attributes about a mother is a mother's words. Verse 26, as Solomon is commending this virtuous woman here, he says something very, very important. He says, she openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. And ladies, I think we know this. The greatest thing that our children remember, the things that we say. 
Sometimes when we open our mouth and we let things out, we realize there are things we're glad we said those things, and there are other times where we think, I wish I could drink, bring that back and not say it again. And the greatest thing that the, that the writer of Proverbs said here, Solomon did, he's talking about a, the virtuous woman. He says she opened her mouth with wisdom, and her tongue is the law of kindness. You know, it's an honorable attribute with the words that we speak. Our words can either build up, our words can tear down. Our words can praise and give inspiration. Our words can criticize and cause a low self-esteem. Our words can inspire someone to do something great. Our words can, can, can cause someone to feel like they're a failure. It can never go anywhere. The Bible says she opened her mouth with wisdom. How many of you can point to the fact this morning, you are where you're at in your life because your mother kept inspiring you. She said, you can do it. You can go on. You can get it done. You're better than that. I know you can get it done. How many are glad this morning you got a mother like that? You see, they're the honorable attributes of a mother words but notice secondly Proverbs says something else in verse 27 he talks about the honorable honorable attribute of a mother's work as we look at verse 27 if you identify with this being your mother you thank the lord for that for just a moment here he says she looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness I'm amazed at how many mothers I know that are busy all day long. They're up early in the morning. They get their children to school. They make sure the lunches are packed. They make sure they get on their transportation. And as soon as they get their children to school, they're off and working around the house and running errands and getting things done. And then before they know it, it's time to go pick up their children again from school. The children get home. They're back at work again and they're preparing dinner and their things going on. There's the laundry. There's the cleaning house. There's running errands, taking them to the doctor's appointments, getting into the after school activities and all these type of things. But notice verse 27 says, She looketh well to the ways of her household. The honorable attribute of a mother, she her number one priority in life, her number one ministry are her children and her husband. She wants to make sure she's done her best. She wants to make sure she's given her best. Many times a mother may feel like, you know what, let's not go out and do that. Let's stay home because I think we can have a wonderful time together. And listen, this morning, if you have a mother in your life that is just busy serving and active and making sure she looks out of your interest, you ought to praise God for that this morning. Amen. We have a mother's words and a mother's work. Mother's work is nonstop. A lot of times a mother forget about herself and doesn't go shopping for herself. She goes shopping for her children. Mother's not thinking about her interests. She's thinking about the interests of her children, her husband. We thank God this morning for a mother's words, a mother's work. But notice in verse 28, a mother is wonderful. Psalms, he goes on, he's writing this treatise about the virtuous woman. He talks about her words and he talks about her work. But notice verse 28. Her children arise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. And then he goes on by saying, Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Listen, when you sum it all up, a mother is a wonderful person. Amen? It's wonderful. You say, we don't understand, Pastor. My mother's not perfect. Neither are you. You say, you don't understand, Pastor. My mother is a... You know, I think we have to pause for a moment and thank God today that wherever we're at in life, thank God for the mother God has given to you this morning. Abraham Lincoln once said, behind every great man is a great mother. Napoleon, the great conqueror of Europe, said this, let France have great mothers and France will have great sons. Dwight L. Moody was a great evangelist during the latter part of the 19th century, said this. He said, all that I've ever accomplished, I owe to my mother. Abraham Lincoln went on further and said this. No one is poor who has a godly mother. Thank God this morning for the honorable attributes. But notice number two, we see something else. Go back to our passage of Scripture, please. 
In our passage of Scripture, notice in verses 21 to 28, we see a real mother. And in this passage, we not only see the honorable attributes, but we see a heavy appeal. We see a mother who has a great need. This mother, her heart is in turmoil. This mother is going through trial. This mother is in a situation where she doesn't have human assistance to help her. She's beyond herself in this situation. We see a mother coming to Jesus. We see a mother heavy appeal. Notice in verse 21, Jesus has traveled from the coastline, from the sea line of uh, the, the, sea, the sea line of the Lake of Galilee, all the way over there to the coastline of Tyre and Zidon. He's walked perhaps anywhere from 40 to 50 miles to get to the location, and there he goes specifically to see that woman. If you read chapter 15 verses 1 to 20, we find that Jesus has been dealing with the Jews and the Pharisees, religious leaders. And those religious leaders and Jews, they disrespected Jesus. They had nothing good to say about Him. They didn't want, they didn't want to receive His works. They did not acknowledge His miracles. They did not acknowledge His teachings. Uh, in fact, Jesus went on to say a prophet is not without honor except in his own country. I mean, these people disregarded Jesus and all that He's trying to do for them. And Jesus just, frankly, if you read verses 1 to 20, just speaks about the hypocrisy of these, these teachers. And so Jesus just abruptly just leaves the area of ministry to the Jews and he makes his way over to the area of the Gentiles. He's going to go over there to the coast of Tyre and Zion just to help one woman. As he's making his way there, Jesus knew about this lady's need. This lady didn't know at that time as Jesus was making his way from the sea line of Galilee all the way over to the Mediterranean Sea coast. She had no idea that Jesus was coming to see her. The Bible tells us he made his way there. And you notice here in verse 21 that Jesus might find his way there. And the Bible says in verse 22, Behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried him. Somewhere along the way, word got out that Jesus had come with the disciples. Perhaps people say, hey, there's some Jewish people that are coming. And we recognize one of them being rabbi. And we think this rabbi might be the one whom they call Jesus. The one who declares himself to be the son of God. And word traveled throughout those coastal cities about Jesus being there. And of course, this woman was in deep turmoil. Her heart was broken. The Bible describes she was grievously vexed and she said she needed to find help and she heard Jesus was coming. Just that one word, she heard that Jesus of Nazareth made his way there. She came to him and she comes to him crying. We find this woman coming to Jesus with a heavy heart, a heavy need. I don't know where you're at this morning, but maybe I'm talking to some mother here today. Your heart is heavy for your children. And your heart is heavy for your home. And your heart is heavy for your family. I want you to know this morning, the same Jesus that went up to Tyre and Zion and to greet that lady and help her. That same Jesus is just as alive today who's here to reach you and to help you in your time of need. And notice this woman comes in her prayer. In verse 22, we see a satanic possession. Have mercy unto me, O Lord, the Son of David. I want you to understand this was an idol-worshiping woman. They did not serve and honor the God of Israel. These were Gentiles. These were Canaanites. They were idol worshipers. They had nothing to do with the God of Israel. They were polytheistic worshipers. They worshiped many gods. And yet this woman heard about Jesus and she heard that he made his way there. She comes to him and you see the greatness of this woman's faith. She calls upon Jesus as being the son of God and the son of David. She recognized his sovereignty as the king of all the Jews and the king of all heaven. And she comes to him and she pours out her heart to Jesus. And she says, this, my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil.
Moms and dads, I want you to listen to me for just a minute. Satanic or demonic possession is a real, real thing. Your child goes from being elementary school age and enters into pre-adolescence and adolescence. The things your children get exposed to, way beyond things that you could have ever imagined that would be controlling in their lives. This woman is telling Jesus, my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Demonic possession occurs when a person allows an opening in their life. You're in the public work site. You participate in yoga, which I'm going to encourage you to get out of yoga this morning. Or you're watching television programs that are being a channel to bringing things into your living room, your home, that are wicked. Demonic possession occurs when you create an opening through the eye gate or through the ear gate. Through what you see, through what you read, through what you hear and experience. Those things embed themselves in your mind and in your brain, your thoughts, and they start working in your life spiritually. And listen, as those things come in, as much as there are good things that come in, there are bad things that we allow to come in. And when demonic possession occurs, it begins first, demonic possession, first of all, begins, can only happen in the life of an unsaved person. Now, I believe a Christian who's saved, Satan cannot possess you because you belong to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in, in, in dwells within you. But you can't be oppressed by Satan. You can be so weak spiritually that you can be oppressed by him. But satanic oppression can occur when a person, an unsaved person, a person who does not know Jesus Christ their Savior, they open themselves for spiritual attack. And through that opening, there is a controlling that Satan does. And through this opening, the demons of hell make their occupancy in the life of the young person. I said just a couple weeks ago about this matter, about giving place to the devil. And when we watch things and we hear things, we give place to the devil. And moms and dads, would you listen for just a moment? Would you indulge this pastor for just a minute? As I can share with you some of the ways that satanic strongholds occur in the lives of our teenagers, the lives of our children and how they occurred to this woman's daughter and how she got attacked. Listen to me this morning. The entry point by which satanic possession can occur might be through the way of peer pressure. Do you know who your children's friends are? It can come by way of social media. It can come by way of drugs and alcohol or other addictive, uh, other addictive type of controlling substances. It can come by way of worldly music. It can come by way of ungodly counselors. It can come by way of idols. And I would just cost you this morning to do a checkpoint around your home of whether or not there are idol gods that you have in your home that are bothered, that could be bothersome or could be a channel by which demons could be bothering your children. To say, well, pastor, is that really true? I've been in enough homes and dealt with them. I can tell you they're true. They can come by way of one or more sins. They can come by way of pride. But listen, parents, one of the greatest ways an entry point that the devil worked in your heart, a teenager, if you're being bothered by demons, let me tell you, one of the greatest ways that happens is through the entry point of disobedience. Disregard for the Word of God. 
We're not sure what happened to this, this lady's daughter, but we know one thing. There was a sin. It could have been idol worship. It could have been the idols this woman worshipped became a channel and entry point by which the demons attacked her daughter. And the only thing we know about it in verse 22 is we're told that this woman's daughter was grievously vexed with devils. Grievously vexed means she had sleepless nights. She was filled with anxiety. She was filled with paranoia. This daughter could not socialize as normal. She couldn't concentrate. She couldn't focus. She didn't have a normal appetite. Appetite. She wasn't. She didn't have the normalities as a typical teenager. Her mind was all messed up. Her soul was messed up. She couldn't think straight. It could be she thought immorally. Whatever it was, we know one thing. This described that this daughter's life was grievously vexed, and because of that, the mother's heart is grievously vexed. Teenagers, I want to encourage you this morning. Listen, whoever your friends are, whatever influence you're getting through social media, whatever substances you may be partaking of right now, be wary of the fact that the entry point of Satan is to go through your mind, to enter to your heart. Satan's number one goal is to control you and destroy you this morning. And if you haven't been in the public school system lately to view and to experience the humanistic teachings, the anti-God philosophies, the unbiblical philosophies that are going on, would behoove you to spend one day in the public school system and watch for yourself. Our whole world is not going towards God. Our whole world is going against God. How many believe that this morning? This woman came to Jesus because of a satanic possession. Moms and dads, I want to encourage you this morning. The time to come to God for your children is now. Not wait until there's a spiritual problem, a spiritual difficulty. It's too late by then. Listen, young people, the greatest thing happening right now with a lot of young people this morning, you listen to me. Some of you young people, are too, you're on social media too much. And social media has become your idol. You post things on there that would be considered inappropriate. You post things on there to boast about yourself and you're mesmerized by how many followers you have and how many, how many of this and how many of that and you're competing with other people to see what can do this and who can do that. Let me tell you this morning, one of the greatest things you can do for your life is to wean yourself off of social media and spend some time with real people, Amen. Young people, I want to tell you this morning, listen, you break your parents' hearts. You break your parents' hearts. More than giving gray hair to your mother and giving gray to your father, I'll tell you what you do. You're sending your mother and father to an early grave by just the things you're involved in, things that you're doing that are not godly, not honoring to God. You see satanic possession. Notice, secondly, we see this woman in her submissive prayer. The encounter this lady has with the Lord Jesus Christ is one of a great need. As we study verses 22 to 28 with these remaining minutes we have, I want you to notice this woman teaches you and me how to pray. This woman teaches you and me how to have great faith. I'll be honest with you, I studied and labored on the Word as I studied this passage of Scripture this week. I thought about the fact this woman's faith is much greater than my faith. The faith that this woman had, if we had a church filled with women and men who had a faith like this lady, think of what God could do with this world. This woman came to Jesus in spite of her idol-worshipping background, instead of her, in spite of her pagan background. She comes to Christ and she pours out her heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. And here in verse 22 to 28, we see this woman's submissive prayer. Notice, first of all, we see this woman is distressed. Have mercy on me. I don't need judgment. I need mercy. 
I don't need money. I need mercy. I don't need great wealth. I need mercy. Listen, this morning, we come to the Lord in prayer. The greatest need we have is to say, God, have mercy on me. She called him Lord. She called him that name in the Greek, which is the word kurios. The Lord of all creation, the Lord who's sovereign and over all, there's none greater than God. This woman, somewhere along the way, came the recognition, those idols that she worshipped couldn't help her. Those idols that she bowed to couldn't do anything for her. Listen, if you're bowing to Buddha or some other idol, listen, I want to tell you this word, they do nothing for you. They can't help you. They have eyes that cannot see and ears that cannot hear, words that cannot speak and hands that cannot move. But I'm going to tell you, we've got a God in heaven who's ever alive. He rose again for the dead and He loves you this morning. This one's distress. Maybe you're pouring out your heart to God this week. I pray this morning that you keep pouring your heart out to Him. She's not only distressed, but notice this woman is descriptive. You know, sometimes we have a problem. Difficulty is way beyond us. We don't even know how to tell somebody we love exactly what's going on in our hearts. You ever been there? I mean, you just really don't know how to tell somebody what's really going on. So my wife and I will talk about trials and things going on, and, and she'll ask me, and, and I'll, I just I look at her, and I just say, honey, I don't even know how to tell you. I don't even know how to describe to you. But this woman teaches you and me that our trial, our difficulty, our problem, we can pour out our heart to the Lord. And we can be descriptive. And I'm glad to tell you this morning, He hears us. Amen? He hears us. And he listens to us. And listen to Jesus. Listen to this lady. She would have been ashamed to tell anybody what she told Jesus, but she wasn't ashamed to tell Jesus. She said, my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. You hear me say this a lot of times when I preach on prayer. But a lot of our praying is all over the world and all over this and all over that. But we, we lack this ability of being very specific and being descriptive. And just telling the Lord exactly what's going on in our hearts. And we think, especially many of us who've been saved for many years, we think God is impressed with our wordiness, our articulation, our choice of words, how well we can press people with what we're saying. But the Bible tells us when thou prayest, enter thou into thy closet and shut thy door behind thee, that thy Father which seeth in secret may reward thee openly. Listen, it's that time of privacy before God. We can be descriptive and tell the Lord what's going on in our hearts. But notice something else. This woman comes with distress. This woman is descriptive. But notice this woman gives God her devotion. Would you notice this woman as she approaches Jesus? The first encounter she's had with Jesus. But she had enough sense about worship. She comes to Christ with a heart of devotion. Notice first one, verse 22. She says, Have mercy on me, O Lord. The son of David. Now, those are that's a descriptive phrase of worship to God. And then later on, she says to him, she says to him, truth, Lord. And later on, we find this woman just calling, worshiping him. And the Bible says in verse 25, she came and worshiped him. And she said, Lord, help me. And one of the best things we could do is we humble ourselves before God is showing a heart of devotion, just humbling ourselves quietly and submissively before the Lord and, and nobody else looking and nobody else watching and bowing our heads before God. And sometimes just something very simple. Lord, I need your help. And that's what she was doing. She came descriptively. She came with devotion. But notice, notice this woman's dependence. She shows her dependence upon Christ. Would you notice again verse 25? 
Lord, help me. And I want to say to every mother this morning, every father here today, maybe that's where you're at in life right now. You just need to say, Lord, help me. Help me. The man who had a son that was demon-possessed, he didn't know what to do. He came to the disciples. The disciples could do nothing for him. And he said, Lord, help me. And I don't know what your burden is, and I'm not sure where you're at in life this morning, but I do know this. You can come to Jesus Christ, who's the friend of all sinners, and the friend that sticketh closer than a brother, and you can just bow yourself before the Savior, and you can just say, Lord, help me. This woman comes to Jesus, and He helps her. She comes in faith. She comes in dependence. She comes with poorness of spirit and broken in heart. She's begging Jesus. She's calling the Lord to do something no one else could do for her. Listen, this woman did not take any courses on how to pray. She didn't take any courses on theology. And she didn't have any courses about all these things we think we have to stair climb and take. She just came out of a heart of contrition and a heart of truthfulness and a heart of transparency. She bowed herself before the Lord of heaven. She said, Jesus, would you please, I need your help. Lord, would you help me? And I want to tell you this morning, you may be going through a burden today and some heaviness in your heart, you can come to that same Jesus and just say to Him, Lord, help me because I need Your help, Lord. But notice something else. We see this woman's heavy appeal. We see this woman in her submissive prayer. But notice in verses 23-27, notice this woman teaches us about steadfast persistence. She came to Jesus because of a satanic possession. She comes to Jesus with a submissive prayer. But you notice how this unfolds She teaches you and me something very important about prayer. You notice as she comes in verse 23, it says, He answered her not a word. You ever experienced that? Lord, I need your help, but no word from God. He answers you not a word. And you get discouraged because you think, well, God, why didn't you answer me right then and there? And God didn't answer you. He answered not a word. I remind you sometimes, sometimes God many times is silent to us, but His silence should not be mistaken as God saying no. And sometimes, many times, God is silent on us because He wants to teach us how to pray and He wants us to teach us that, you know, going to God is not like going to an ATM machine. You put your ATM card in and money comes out. That's not how it works with prayer. Prayer is realizing it's a relationship with God. It's realizing that we, it's not all, t- uh, you know, give and take and give and take. It's realizing that we must come before God with the right heart. And Jesus chose that moment of time in developing a heart of worship and a heart of adoration, this lady, of teaching her that He was not going to answer immediately at that time. And she teaches how to have persistence. So notice what happened. He answered not a word. And notice what the disciples tell him in verse 23. And the disciples came and besought him saying, send her away, Lord, for she cried that first. Listen, this woman asked Jesus to help her and she's in desperate straits. And so finally she looks at his disciples and she turns to them and says, hey, would you help me? Could you do something for me? You're his disciples. Is there something you can do? And she's begging them and pleading with them. And they recognize that moment of time they didn't have the power. And they recognize that moment of time they didn't have the ability. So they turn to Jesus and they're flustered. They said, Lord, send her away. Lord, we can't do anything for her. Send her away. We, Lord, she just keeps begging us for help. Send her away. And we remind you today, sometimes when people come to you for help, it is not our right to say, send them away. We must bring them to Jesus. Amen. Finally, she kept persisting and asking. Notice verse 24, he answers her and he says, Woman, I'm not sent to, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now he's testing her. He said, woman, I, I'm a Jew. These men are Jews. My mission is to help the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, he wasn't telling her no. 
wanted to see what kind of faith this woman had. As he tells her that, for some people, they would take that as a derogatory insult. And for some people, they would say, well, see, I, I came to God and I prayed to Him, but He wasn't there for me. But notice this woman, in verse 25, she still doesn't stop. She knew the only one who could help her in her problem. The only one who could meet her need was Jesus Christ. In verse 25, she worshiped, the Bible says she came and worshipped Him. And she said, Lord, help me. And he goes on, notice in verse 26, by saying, It is not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. What he's saying there is this. Gentiles were referred to as dogs back in that day. That was a pretty derogatory term. You're a Gentile. You knew the Jews thought of you as dogs, as scavengers, as worthless, as some, an animal you'd throw scraps to. And that was a very derogatory term to call somebody a dog like that. And, and uh, he makes a statement to her. She understood, but he was testing her to see where she was at. He says, listen... I can't take the bread that belongs to the children and give it to the dogs. In other words, you understand this. As you bring your family to the table and you're going to feed your family food, you don't take the best food and give it to the dogs. You give the best food to your children. He's saying, listen, lady. He says, I, I, I've reserved my best for the children of Israel. It's not meat. He says, it's not, it's not suitable for me to give the children's bread and give it to the dogs. But notice this, woman's, notice this woman. He's testing her to see whether this woman's proud. He's testing her to see whether or not she recognizes her sinfulness. He's testing her to see whether or not how genuine she is. Is she just another pagan that's looking to God as one of her idol gods that's going to help her? And she's testing her to see how genuine and real this woman's faith is. And notice she didn't get insulted. And notice she's not offended. And notice she doesn't get mad at him. And notice she doesn't take that as being offensive. Notice in verse 27 she says, Truth, Lord. You know, sometimes when God's word is open and the pastor comes out maybe a little bit stronger than used to hearing and he calls sin what it really is and he tells us, you know, we need to get back on track for the Lord and maybe the pastor is encouraging us to live for Christ and to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and that's not where we're at in our life or he's telling us that we need to surrender to the Lord and, and the preacher is getting up and telling us, you know, we need to sacrifice and give to God. It may not be what we want to hear and, and sometimes we turn it off. But this woman, just to show you her humility... And this woman, to show you her meekness and her genuineness, she says, truth, Lord. She's saying, Lord, what you're saying is true. I don't deny it. I acknowledge it. She says, I don't know all the Bible, but I know one thing. What you're telling me is truth. And this is, she goes on by saying this, and she says this in that same verse. She says, truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And here's what she's saying. Even though I know this is truth, what you're saying. She says, I'm not deserving this. But she said, whatever you give me, even if it's just the little crumbs, whatever you give me, I'm willing to take that. And her phrase is showing her submissiveness to God and her faith in the Lord. She says, truth, Lord, for even the dogs or the little puppies eat the crumbs that are thrown on the table. She said, Lord, I, 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 you know, if, you, if, 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 if that's what I am, if I'm a sinner and, and I have to beg for something, she says, I don't mind. She says, whatever you give me is better than what I deserve. If I truly am a, a dog in the sense, if I'm truly a, a sinner in that sense, he, she says, I acknowledge it. She says, I just know one thing. She says, my daughter's in terrible straits. I, I, I'm a person that's a, from, come from a pagan background. I need your help. I, I realize pagan, pagan idols cannot help me and idol worship doesn't help me. And she's basically saying through all this, she's saying, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are the son of God. I believe that you've come to die for the sins of the world. She said, I realize I've sinned and that the wages of sin is death. She says, I realize that I'm a sinner and under the condemnation of sin. She says, I realize that. She says, Lord, if you'll just help me. She said, if you'll just save me and save my daughter. She says, whatever you give me, Lord, is better than what I deserve. How many feel like that this morning, amen? 
This woman says something to Jesus that's not scripted. She says something to Jesus that reflects what he's doing in her heart. You see, brother and sister in Christ and friend here today, God's word is his authority for this generation. And God, through his word, speaks to us. And as he speaks to us, there may be a tug on our heart, a punch in our gut, the conviction of the Holy Spirit speaking to you and me, that God is working in our hearts. And he wants us to understand that though sometimes God may not immediately respond to us, he is working. And it may be today that you've heard the gospel once, and you've heard it twice, and three times, and many times. It might be today you realize that God wants you to say like this woman, truth, Lord. He wants you to be at the place like this woman, to have a willing acceptance, and by faith, to call upon the Lord to save you from your sins. Well, notice this morning as we come to a close, we see the honorable attributes of a mother, and we see the heavy appeal of a mother. But you notice as we come to the conclusion, what happened for this mother? What you notice as we come to the conclusion this morning, the happy approval. I'm thankful to tell you this morning as we read verses 28. Verse 28, we see the story come to a very happy conclusion. First of all, we see an answered request. Notice in verse 28, the Bible says, Then Jesus answered. May I say to every Christian here this morning, what a lesson for you and me that we can learn to be persistent in our praying, to not give up. If the Lord, you have to ask one time or two times or three times or four times or five, five times, I want to encourage you to keep praying and asking God to work. I'm reminded when I was back in 1974 that I went to a youth meeting and there somebody got up and preached about the importance of praying for your unsaved mother and father to get saved. And all I remember is that all the teenagers there that, in that room with me, many of which had unsaved parents, we were all were dripped by the time we were gripped with such conviction, and by the time the speaker had ended that, that message, all of us were burdened for the lives and the souls of our mothers and fathers and teenagers voluntarily went to different rooms in that little church property. We found ourselves in rooms and started praying for our mothers and fathers. Listen, from that point in 1974, I prayed for 15, 16, 17 consecutive years for my mother and father to get saved. And I still remember when my little daughter, Carice, was about four years of age or so around that time. We went to see my mom and my dad, and I determined after praying much about this, a layman at that time, that we're going to go visit mom and dad. And there that night on a Friday night at 10.30, 10.45 at night as we were sharing the gospel with Jesus Christ and my daughters, Carice and Tiffany sitting with me and my wife sitting next to me. We shared the gospel. I'm thankful to tell you that God answered prayer after 16, 17 years. Mom and dad got saved on that day. Brother Denny Kwan is our head deacon. Brother Denny's one of the great Christians in this church. But Denny and his wife are traveling out of town right now, but... Brother Denny got saved and God started doing a work in his heart. Back in 2003, 2004, his mom and dad started coming to Heritage Baptist Church and both come from a different religious background. His father, that morning, he felt burdened right before Sunday school was going to start. And Brother Danny pulled his dad aside, Brother Kent Kwan, who's one of our men in our Chinese-speaking department. He pulled him aside in a room right now where all of our orchestra uh, stores all their equipment. It was at that time just a little Sunday school room. And Brother Danny pulled his father in there with another man who was very much more fluent in Cant- the Cantonese dialect. And there, Danny, at 8.45 to 9.15 that morning, shared the gospel with his dad. And for the very first time, his eyes were open. He realized he was a sinner. And I want to tell you, that day, God answered the prayers of Brother Danny Kwan. And Kent Kwan accepted Jesus Christ. As his personal savior. It wasn't long after that, Mrs. Helen Kwan trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. And during that same time, Danny had to, was a good witness and led his mother, his grandmother, and both his grandmothers to Christ. Hey, you look at Danny right now, his family. What an answer to prayer started. He was the first generation Christian, and now there's three generations of Christians in his family here. 
And I can tell you so many stories of people in this room that have prayed for their mothers and fathers. We've gone to their homes and given them the gospel. And their mothers and fathers have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. I'm just saying this morning, this woman teaches you and I how to have faith. Jesus will answer, but you've got to be persistent in your prayer. Keep on praying. Keep on praying. Keep on praying. Don't give up until God says no. Then we see the acknowledged reason. A lot of us are praying for things right now that haven't been answered. You notice in chapter 15, notice in that same verse, verse 28, Jesus gives the reason why he answered her prayer. He see, the Bible says, And Jesus answered, said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee as thou wilt. And here's the reason, very quickly, Jesus was acknowledging the faith of this woman. Listen, without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. May God help us this morning that we have an increased faith. May God help us this morning have greater faith for our unsaved relatives to get saved. And may God give us greater faith that we can see our children be leaders for Jesus Christ and have victorious Christian lives. Notice, the reason why this lady came to Jesus was because her daughter was grievously vexed. He answered her request. He acknowledged the reason. But you notice the awesome release. Woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And notice this last part. And her daughter was made whole from the very hour. Moms and dads, as we close this morning, maybe you're at a place where there's a burden in your heart. Grandmothers and grandfathers, maybe you're at a place in life where there's a burden in your heart. Maybe I'm talking to a teenager or a single, single here today or a student today. Maybe the burden in your heart is you have an unsaved mother and father that you want to see saved. But you look at the faith of this woman this morning. But you look at her faith. And see how it's a model for you and me. To humble ourselves. To submit ourselves before the Lord. To be descriptive while we're being distressed. To show the Lord devotion. And place our full dependence upon Him. Say, Lord, I need you right now. Not worry about what other people think. Now worry about what other people see, but mostly concern, what does God see? And come to Him with all your heart. And today, if you're here and you're not saved, the greatest Mother's Day gift you can give to your family is to receive God's Son, Jesus Christ, as your Savior today. In a moment, I'm going to show you how you can be saved. Moms, I'm going to show you today how you can be sure that you're going to heaven I'm going to, I can show you today how God and His Word wants you to be saved like this woman. And the greatness of your faith begins by putting your faith and trust exclusively and completely in Jesus Christ to save you from your sin. And by the way, it just doesn't have to be with mothers. It can be with dads as well there too. I want to urge this morning, brother and sister in Christ, if your faith has been small, would you come today and say, Lord, increase my faith.
If your faith has been little, would you ask the Lord to increase your faith? If you've got a burden in your heart, would you just describe to the Lord what that burden is, like this Canaanite woman did, and trust Him to help you, and pour your heart in devotion, experience the love of God working in your behalf, and if you're saying you have a need you're praying for, would you just let God work through that? And, and today, if you're not saved, I urge you this morning, don't put it off to tomorrow, don't put it off another time. Hey, Jesus knows where you're at, and He's visited the service, and He's knocking on the door of your heart, and He's asking, would you let me come in? And maybe today you'd get saved and trust Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Father, today we thank you for this congregation.